I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilization of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode of Fan of History. Hello, Dan. Hello, Bernie. I am a little bit sad. I know. Can I just... I, 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 it must have been a Freudian slip that I said the great civilization of the past. <laughs> Surely you meant the Neo-Syrian Empire. Must have. Must have, I podcasted and done YouTube videos about it for eight years. And we're so close to the end. And here is where things really start to go south. Yeah, quickly. It's the power going south to Babylonia. Mm -hmm. You're right. And we'll, we'll talk a lot about the reasons for the fall of the empire. But it's hard to discern. And we'll actually see in the next decade that one year before the fall, the Assyrians don't seem very concerned. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, let's do this. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I did, you know, we have seen that there's there could have been some chi- climate change happening in the north right around this time, um, which, you know, obviously would have some effect. But as you remember, you know, that it was an integrated system. So if there was problems in the north, they had Babylonia in the south for for um you know things like that but you know if they start losing control then that that create a problem another thing i want to throw in just quick is do you remember we had the, we laughed about the camels you know that everybody had a camel yes but that's like that caused inflation and they didn't understand inflation but inflation's a problem so that could have been you know i'm not saying oh the syrian empire collapsed because of camels and inflation but that's you know not a um you know, it's another factor that could have caused trouble. I guess the blame usually goes to Ashurbanipal himself, as he has done pretty much what Shalmaneser did. He has become very old, mm-hmm. if he is indeed still alive in the 620s. Right. But uh, there is a good case for him dying in 627. Yes. 
There is a good case from dying in 627, but then there's a good case from dying in 631. 631 is the at the last time there's any he's mentioned as, you know, his name on any, you know, contracts or anything, because they would say, you know, in the year of Ashurbanipal, that kind of thing. So 631 is the last year we have anything written. But then, as you said, the last time we have the Nabonidus's mother, who was an Assyrian priestess, she, you know, lists all her years of how long she lived and she would put his death at 627. We also have no other names for the period 631 to 627. If they actually said another king's name for this year, but they don't. Exactly. The problem is that the eponym uh, chronicle is gone. Yes. And we actually have a lot of eponyms. We have the names of these important officials, but the years were named after one important official. But after the eponym chronicle ends in the 640s, there is a plethora of names. There are too many names yeah. mentioned. So dating anything in Assyria at this time is incredibly hard. And all our good sources are gone. It is. Uh, from Assyria. Just like dating in COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I did read that too, about the, the, the chronicle got to be like more and more names in the same year or so. We also have the mystery of Candelano, but we'll get back to right. that. Right, but we do have records of him until 627. Yes, which is interesting. Right, which is why some of the people, you know, some some historians thought that he, him and Asher Banerpal were the same people, but that's pretty much been, you know, debunked. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> I no? still believe it's the same person. Do you? Yes, but Candelano is in himself a, a gigantic mystery. Yeah. Uh, He's not one of the known sons of Esarhaddon. He could have been the brother of Ashurbanipal. Mm -hmm. But we know nine sons uh, of Esarhaddon. He's not one of them. And he is kind of mysterious in the Babylonian writings as well. They just say that in his year, but he's never mentioned as a person. He also doesn't appear in the Assyrian letters and things. So he seems to be, he rules Babylonia for a long time. But he, he has no description. There's like, we don't know anything about him. Yeah. If he was a local Babylonian, surely he would have revolted by 627. <laughs> but he never did. As all Babylonians, Alcadians do. No, I know what you mean, though. Yeah, if, if Ashurbanipal was gone, then yeah, he would have. I also heard an interesting theory about Ashurbanipal uh, sort of going into exile in the last years. Yeah. That he went to Haran where this woman lived later. Right. And he, he spent his last year years in service of the moon god at Aram. This is in south of Turkey, north of Syria, like uh, very close to Kerkemish. And it will become the capital of Assyria yeah. in our next episode. It's something amazing about the moon god in Haran, isn't it? Like it just sucks in these these powerful people, even like Ezarhaddon, remember he used to go, and now maybe Ashurbanipal, Nabonidus. You know, from the Babylonians in the future. It's amazing. I will talk more about Haram. I just got to say real quick, I'm stick, sticking in this part. I don't want to have any spoilers, but if you for the fans and Dan, you too, if you get a chance, I don't know if you get a chance to read, but this book, All Their Broken Idols, All Our Broken Idols by Paul M. M. Cooper. I mentioned it before. I finished it since then. It's amazing. I, I don't want to spoil it, but... The, the what the what he puts out that's fiction right but what happens to Asher Banipal in his last years and and how it, it's really good I really highly recommend it I'm going to try to 
reach out to the author. And I just don't know how I can do an interview here and without doing the spoilers. I'm, I'm telling you, it's so good. So it has to do with a lion, Asher Banapal hunting, Asher Banapal being like old and sick and it's cool. Really good. Get an interview with him. That would be good. I think so. And you wanted me to do Ashurbanipal's Lamentation? Yeah. Okay, I will do this in my sad Assyrian king voice. Okay. Pay attention to this, guys. This is really good. Concerning Arbella, the dwelling of Ishtar, the house of festivals and merrymaking, whose inner wall had not been built since ancient times, an outer wall had not been completed, I built its wall. And completed its outer wall. I filled the city with grandeur. I made the house of my lady Ishtar as radiant as the day with silver, gold and copper. I adorned the emblem of the gate of Ishtar's house with silver and gold and erected it. As for Milkia, the palace of the steppe, the dwelling of Ishtar, I renovated its ruins. I built its Akito house. I completed the city in its entirety. I set my hands to work in depression. And with weeping on that which the enemy had attacked. I completed the work with rejoicing. I myself erected the emblem of Nergal's house. Which is in Tarbisu. And which did not exist in previous days. After I had done this and finished the work, the word of my father, my progenitor, was not annulled. I obeyed it. I entrusted Shama Shuma Ukin, my favorite brother, with the kingship of Babylon. I devoted Ashur Mukin Palia, my younger brother, to the Sheshkalu priesthood of Asher. I devoted Asher Etel Shamer Siti Mubalisu, my youngest brother, to the Sheshkalu priesthood of Sin, who dwells in Haran. Along with the funerary offerings, I re-established the pouring out of water of the ghosts of kings who came before me, which had ceased. I honored God and humanity, the living and the dead, in all of these ways, why then are illness, sorrow, expenses and loss permanently bound to me? Discord in the land, strife in the house are not withheld from me. Disturbances and evil words are constantly set out against me. Emotional and physical distress have bent my frame. I have spent my days sighing woe and alas. I am distressed on the festival day, the day of the god of the city. Death holds me fast. I am in dire straits. I moan day and night on account of depression and lamentation. I am exhausted, O Asher. Give these things to the one who shows you no reverence, so I may see your light. How long, O Asher, will you treat me in this manner? Like one who does not revere his god and his goddess I am treated. That's amazing. And this is an actual uh, 
thing that came down to us. Amazing, really. So personal. I read somewhere, somebody hypothesized that this was uh, regarding the Civil War with Shama Shemokin, as he's actually mentioned here. Yeah. But maybe he's just bitter at the end of his days. Or maybe he was just broken and depressed all the time since then. Could be. Could be. They, they say that he really did love that. It was his favorite brother. They, he said it there. It says other times, Karen Radner says it was his twin brother. He was... I mean, there's, they're human beings, you know? Like, you, if you really have a brother that you think you love, and then he does that. It, was, it seemed to really upset him. Badass that he was. For sure. And he has now been the king of Assyria since 669 BC. Yeah. That's a very long time. Yeah. Ezra Haddon was, was prone to depression, too. So it could be like a... A family trait. Yeah, for sure. Sargon's poor genes. Yeah, right. It could be the mother. <laughs> but yeah. For sure. But we do have uh, two interesting sons of Ashurbanipal, right? At least two sons. At least two sons he has. That's right. I was just wondering too, do you do you think you think he, he do you think he um you know, do you think he dictated that to a scribe or you wonder if he wrote that himself? I see him dictating yeah. it. It's just so personal though, you know. He'd have to really be have a personal relationship with that scribe to be able to say those things, you know? Yeah, and of course he's a scribe himself. Right, that's why I always wonder does have two sons. Another interesting fact about Ashurbanipal, we've seen the the crown prince being super important. The crown prince has his own court. Right. Etc. And during all these years, there has been a crown prince. Yeah. But who is it? It's not mentioned anywhere. So who is the designated heir? That's why we don't know. We don't understand, you know. They said that there was a crown prince... But we don't know who it is. Yeah, his two sons were Asher Tel Elani, and then there was uh, Sinsharishukin. Is that how we pronounce it? Sinsharishukin. You pronounce it. I'll just do what you say. <laughs> I'm not sure. Sinsharishkun. Sinsharishkun. The, there are clues, though, to this mystery. Because we know that Asher Etel Elani is very young. They say. We know that he, uh, we know he's young. And we also know that Sincharishkun is commanding troops at some point before 627. We do? I didn't know. And I get confused. We do. And uh, that probably means that Sincharishkun is the crown prince. Because a traditional uh, task for the crown prince was commanding troops. Mm -hmm. Correct. But of course, this is uh, not uh, waterproof evidence. No. I mean... So Karen Radner says that he was a minor, and because in the in, he has an inscription where he says that my father did not rear me, but that's the other historians say that's found in other, you know, that's they, they say that too. Like even Asher Banipal says that. I remember reading that myself, you know. So that could just be an expression. It could be like, well, my father was out way he didn't rear me. Um, or maybe that's a sign of manliness for the father because he wasn't uh, caring about children. He was out doing yeah. fighting and good Assyrian king stuff. Or maybe he was a minor because we get confused. There's this, his, his, um, his name is Sinshumu Lishir, right? That's the, that's the eunuch. So the names are very confusing. That's a very interesting character. Correct. Was... So Sinshumu Lishir is uh, a eunuch from the court of... Uh, Asher Banipal, who will now throw in his lot with Asher Etililani 
to make him the king of Assyria. So I think we're looking at a civil war here. Could be. I mean, and since Shumalishir was his guy, was his, he's the one who brought him up, he says, you know, Asher Atelati. Asher Atelati says that he was his guy all along. You know, he was like the head of, the, of his, in the, in the harem. And he's a general. So he helped, he did install him. So it could have been a civil war. You're right. I don't know. Nobody knows. It's all, you know, speculation. We also have records of Sin Shumilishir putting down a rebellion uh, at about this time from two guys called Nabu Ritu Ishur and Sinshar Ibni. Mm-hmm. But uh, they don't get very far. No, and then that's when the other, you know, Asher Talani becomes a king. And in 627, Kandalanu dies. Yes, yeah, so Kandalanu dies in the same year as Ashurbanipal. Hmm, coincidence? Yeah, that's well. That's why some people think that. <laughs> but I think we're looking at major unrest in Assyria upon the death of Ashurbanipal yeah. in 627. And of course, we're looking at um, opportunistic Babylonians. Yeah, for sure. Who see a power vacuum because Kandalanu just happened to die in the same year as Ashurbanipal. I know. Maybe, maybe Ashurbanipal was like disabled in some way you know maybe his mental then they just kept him locked away or something and then maybe maybe Candelano never even came out like maybe nobody ever saw him sort of like like Duke like Duke Juan was when they had him put away like maybe nobody ever saw Candelano and that's why he was Ashurbanipal then when Ashurbanipal actually died maybe if he actually died in 627 and was incapacitated before then maybe we don't know the weird thing is that uh, the city of Nippur in Babylonia mm-hmm. They keep recording their years or dating documents, etc., with Ashurbanipal's name and not Kandalanu. But all other Babylonian cities uh, go over to Kandalanu yeah. uh, for the official documents and stuff. Gradually, during the long reign of Kandalanu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because it's from Nippur, I think, that we have the last record of Ashurbanipal in 631. Yes. So we know he's alive in 631. That's the last we know. And that probably tells that probably tells us that Snipper is very loyal to uh, the Assyrians. Yeah. And they're nymphs. We also have an interesting fact that the sea land, uh, the the south of Babylonia, seems to be loyal to Assyria for once huh. during this conflict. Probably they killed everybody that wasn't by then. But we do have a sidebar here that you put in, so go ahead. Which sidebar? The one about his mother? Yes. Oh yeah, because we uh, she's kind of cool because Adad Guppy is her name, right? And she's she was an Assyrian priestess so for the moon god Sin, right? And she was the mother of King Nabonidus of Babylon, and he ruled from five fifty six to thirty to thirty nine BC. So uh, this is the guy that will be overthrown by Cyrus the Great, right? So literally the end of the end of the Babylonian Empire. She's that's his that's her father, and um. She's already here in Haran, and she knows Ashurbanipal. <laughs> well, that's pretty crazy. She's lived a very long time. When um, And, and uh, she mentions that she was born in the 20th year of Ashurbanipal, which would have been like 648, and that she cared for the sanctuaries of the moon god for 95 years. She saw her son become king of Babylon in 556, so she would have been 92 at the time, and she apparently died at the age of 104 having lived with sound mind and body to see the descendants of the fourth generation. My, um, my father's, my, my grandmother on my father's side died last year. She was 104. She would have been 105 a week later. Wow. 
Yeah. But the cool, the funny thing is, though, she credits that Nabonidus became king because he, you know, became a devotee of Sin, the moon god, and he received the prof. She received the prophecy that he would become king and restore the city of Haran to glory. And so then, if you know the story, of what happens with him? He gets all like religious and stuff, and like leaves the Babylonia for like ten years because he's all running around trying to do stuff for his religion, and then Cyrus takes over. It's like Ashurbanipal taking his revenge on the Babylonians a hundred years later. Exactly. So yeah, that's her. And that's where we are. So if we're at about 627 and Kandalano's dead, I believe that the eunuch Sin Shuma Lisher takes over as the king of Babylon at the time. And Asher Atelani kind of dies right about the same time. Not exactly, but close. The death of Asher Atelani is very problematic as well because he either dies right after his father or in 623. And you can make a pretty good argument for both. Because we have contradicting documents that uh, we can't make sense of, really. Yes. But we also have a note from Babylonia in 626 that there is no king. I would go with them. (laughs) So we're probably looking at a civil war of some sort here. For sure. And there's obviously stuff going on. Just like, because we covered a lot more of this before, we're just like scooch in there, sneak in there. Right around this time, Josiah in Judah, he um, captured the city of Ashdod and brought his people over there. You know, the, the Phoenician city that was under siege for years, they said, by Necho. Um, then he just walked in. I mean, you can't just walk in to the Assyrians if you're, the, if you're in Judah. They weren't really big on that. So obviously there was a lot of uh, turmoil in the empire that they couldn't, they just let that happen. So basically, the death of Ashurbanipal is a call. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. To chaos, everybody can now do whatever they want. Yeah. Because Assyria is in shambles. Yeah. I mean, it was. We, You know, when Sennacherib left, there was a lot of trouble. We have a five-year t- period, I remember. We didn't know what happened, and 
we think there was some re- revolutions when Ashurbanipal, and they all do it, but it's like, as I wrote down one day, it's like quitting smoking, you know, you just keep trying and eventually it works. But one interesting fact here that uh, is Babylonia has thrived under Ashurbanipal's rule. And mm-hmm. we have, we're looking at a very good economy in Babylonia, but not in Assyria, not to the same extent. Mm-hmm. So the, the balance of power has shifted also because of financial reasons, because Babylonia is doing really well financially. Mm-hmm. And you see where he said in that, in his lamentation, I have expenses. Yes. And I thought that was interesting that he said, I have expenses and all these other problems. So, you know, you didn't think, you never hear kings complain about expenses back in these days. But, you know, <laughs> but so maybe, you know, they cut off. If, well, we have a serious problem now, don't they? We have this new guy, Nabopolassar. And this is his time to shine. Mm-hmm. Okay, this this is getting confusing, but it's because it is confusing. Yes. The eunuch, Sinchi Militia, seems to play a key role in securing the throne for Ashel Etililani for a year or for four years. Or maybe the rebellion, the, the, the civil war, is not it's going on all this time. But this guy, Sinchi Militia, seems to have a private army mm-hmm. and uh, seems to be doing a lot of things. So maybe he is, in fact, the ruler of Assyria. I mean, he's at least the ruler of Babylonia and a couple of Babylon and a couple cities. Yeah, that doesn't last long. No, because then the next real Assyrian king knocks him out, right? Yes. The other brother, who was maybe the maybe the crown prince. Right. Well, here's the thing. Karen Radner says that's no name for a king of Assyria. That his name is not a name. She says that that name means the moon god has appointed the king. Now, that sounds like a name to me, but she says that that's the name of a servant of the king. Interesting. That's what she says. We got to get her on here. So he defeated the, the eunuch. The hell is he thinking? I mean, there's no way there was there were Syrians were going to follow a eunuch. True. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought of the expression, like, you better grow a set. Speak, speaking <laughs> about weird names, Candelano. Right. It's a sort of kitchen utensil. Oh, yeah, I remember you said that. <laughs> ah, it's like, what? <laughs> you must now obey your king, the fork. <laughs> uh, maybe it was the knife or something. I don't know. Yeah, the spatula. <laughs> the hammer. That's not a kitchen utensil, though. <laughs> Depends on how you do your cooking. Yeah, I guess so, right? <laughs> but, um... I feel like this is like the turning point. I just watched a football game last weekend. It was the the Buffalo Bills, who the Patriots, for a whole, like, 20 years, would kill them every year. The poor Bills had no chance in the division. And then the last night, or the last weekend, the Bills crushed the Patriots. It's kind of like that. Sometimes the, the Syrians are like the Patriots, and the Bills are like the Babylonians. Most uh, most kings list have uh, the eunuchs in Shumilishir sure, as a king during this time, but uh, it's... Uh, it's really hard to tell anything. Yeah, it is hard to tell exactly what happened. But in the end, at some point, yeah. Sinsharishkun takes control of Assyria. But uh, the year this happens is almost impossible to know. But it, it is it's the, in this decade. Correct. So we, at least we know that. Did you want to say something more about Josiah? He is, of course, uh, very happy that the Assyrians are gone and starts making problems for everybody nearby. 
Yeah, he gets into his, and we did that episode on it. That's when he finds, um, he's getting a little older now, and he finds the, so to speak, I say, finds, and air quotes, the um, Viticus, I believe. And they find it in the temple, and then that's, they realize that, you know, they were doing the rituals all the right way, and they, and that's when they destroy all the remaining um, other gods in Judah. That, so now they're really pushing towards monotheism in Judah right now. I mean, this is the monotheistic faction has basically taken over. And, you know, like the Assyrians kind of let you go, but they weren't really like, they were into their religion too. That was, you know, that wouldn't necessarily been so cool either to say that there's no other God and only Yahweh is the God of everybody. That's what's happening there at the time. And like I said, he took over Ashdod. And, we, you know, if you were, it's not Leviticus, it's Deuteronomy. I knew that wasn't Leviticus. It's <laughs> Deuteronomy that they find. But yeah, we did a whole episode on that too. So, well, Let's look at Babylonia and our one good source that we still have, the Babylonian Chronicle. Yeah. Which uh, covers Nabopolassar's rise to power. Yes, it does. So here's what kind of happens here. It's good that we have it, too. So he took over. Yeah, we should go right to the Chronicle. He took over in 626, and we kind of know that. We, we kind of have good dates here. It's all in the Chronicle. Some of it's taken out, but so it says in the month of, we don't know, but Nabopolassar, his name isn't Nabopolassar in Babylonian either. I don't really have it in front of me, but that's the Greek spelling of it. And that's, you know, we could go with that. Yes, yeah, so let's, let's have one name for him. <laughs> yeah, please. It's hard enough with the Chinese thing. So, you know, I wonder if maybe he was a little bit better of a general than some of the other people. Um, it's also pretty, we're pretty sure that he was probably a, from Uruk, and he wasn't royalty, and a good chance that he wasn't a Syrian, you know, uh, official, um, probably from Babylonia, you know, from the area, but he was in a, you know, work for the Assyrians, and it took his chance, you know, this was, this was his shot now, and he sent troops to Babylon at night, entered the city, and they did battle within the city all day. They inflicted a defeat on Assyria, and the garrison fled to Assyria. That means he took Babylon in a, you know, daring night attack, basically. You know, the intelligence services sort of failed on the Assyrian side because he got his guys in and he took the city in one shot. That was pretty good. Yep. It says, the 12th day of the month of Ululu, the army of Assyria, went down to Akkad, which is Babylonia, but not Babylon, and set fire to the temple. And then uh, Sasanku, they plundered it. And then the Assyrian army went to Nippur. And Nabopolassar retreated before them. Then the Asar, As, army of Assyria and the Nippurians followed him to Uruk. They did battle against Nabopolassar in Uruk and retreated before Nabopolassar. So that means Nabopolassar won that battle. In the month of Arjuru, the army of Assyria went down to Akkad again, from Assyria come there, on the twelfth day of the month of Tasridu, when the army of Assyria had marched against Babylon and the Babylonians had come out of Babylon, on that day they did battle against the army of Assyria and inflicted a major defeat on the army of Assyria and plundered them. I read another version of this event where it was interpreted as the Assyrians were besieging Babylon like they were used to do. They have a lot of experience besieging Babylon. Yeah. But then Nabopolassar just sallied forth and destroyed them which is something nobody ever did to the Assyrians. See, isn't that interesting? I mean, I did a lot of studying on this, you know, Syrian war or battle. I couldn't find much, but basically they always said, you know, it wasn't like they were like 
you know, better than anybody. Like they didn't have a great general or anything or strategies or just always won. But I think Nabopolassar was probably a better strategist, do you think? Tactician, maybe even. I think from what we see later, Nabopolassar was the first Babylonian king who really used the Assyrian tactic. And he has been he has been an Assyrian official. He knows the Assyrian state, and he will kind of copy it later on. Yeah. So I think they they have no advantage over him. If he was an Assyrian official, you know what that means. He also was as an Assyrian intelligence agent. Uh huh. Right, because the, all their officials were intel. That was their job. So he probably that's the key. Probably he was better at intelligence than them. He snuck out the city. He snuck in in the city. I mean, pretty good. Uh, go on with the chronicle. Yeah, so now it says, For one year there was no king in the land. On the 26th day of the month of, no- of Arashamna, which is the 23rd, now we have a date, the 23rd of November, 626, Nabopolassar ascended the throne in Babylon. And Nabopolassar returned to Susa, the gods of Susa, whom the Assyrians had carried off and settled in Uruk. So he's making friends with the whatever's left in Elam. This is a very critical moment because at this point, the Neo-Babylonian Empire begins. Yep. This is the official starting date for the new order. Yep. But of course, he has some wrapping up to do and he will spend uh, 20 years doing that or 30. Uh, He does a good job of it though. And his son, of course, who you might have heard of. Nebuchadnezzar. Yes. Nezer. Doesn't he have a ship, too, named after him in the Matrix? Yes, I think so. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Morpheus' ship. So, yeah. Continue. The first year of Nabopolassar, so that's 625-624, on the 17th of the month of Nisanu, panic overcame the city. What? Shamas and the... I don't know. Weird. Well, it says, Shamas and the gods of Sapuzu went to Babylon. So, that must have took some gods back from the Syrians. Or if they... Maybe the Elamites traded with them. Or well, maybe they took Sapasu's gods and took them to Babylon because Sapasu was loyal to the Assyrians. Oh, yes. You want to say the gods of Sapasu would be a city and Shamas is the sun god. It's like Apollo. On the 21st day of the month, so this will be 14th of May, 625, the army of Assyria entered Rachma and carried off the booty. So we have another, you know, they're fighting in Babylonia. On the 20th day of the month, the gods of Sippar went to Babylon. That would mean that the Babylonians captured Sippar and took the gods away. On the ninth day of the month of Abu, which would have been the 30th of July, 625, Nabopolassar and his army marched to Rachmat. He did battle against Rachmat, but did not capture the city. Instead, the army of Assyria arrived. So he repeated, I'm sorry, he retreated before them and withdrew. So now you see, he's a good, but he's just, you know, he's not just losing all his arm. You know, he, oh, got to get out of here. But he's keeping them on the run, isn't he? Yeah, but think uh, about Sinshari Ishkun's position here. He is now the uncontested king of Assyria, ho- mm-hmm. hopefully uncontested. And uh, this is just regular business, right? The Babylonians are being yeah. feisty and he needs to go down and eventually the Assyrians will win again. Surely that's what he must have been thinking. But this time the Assyrians will not win. I agree with you 100%. They must have been thinking, yeah, this is just how it goes. Probably they, the people in Nineveh are reading the newspaper. Oh, dear, they're fighting in Babylon again. <laughs> <laughs> the second year of Nabopolassar, which was 624, um, the beginning of the month of August, 
624, the army of Assyria went down to Akkad and camped by the Benitu Canal. They did battle against Nabopolassar, but achieved nothing and withdrew. Now, you know, still, the Syrians don't have much of a track record here in this, these particular battles. The third year, 623, on the eighth day of the month, Der, D-E-R, that's that, remember that is, rebelled against Assyria. And on the 15th day of the month, uh, it was the 11th of October, an Assyrian general joined battle with Nippur. Afterward, the king of Assyria went down to Akkad with his troops and took possession of Dur. He took out its treasures and had them sent to Nippur. It says he pursued it to Ilani, ravaged Uruk, and set up a, gar- a garrison at Nippur. But it to the Assyrian general is it to Ilani. But he, so Nippur, as you, you said before, is definitely an Assyrian uh, city. Yes. And we, we, this is very hard to date because we have uh, things from 616 uh, telling us that Nippur is still in Assyrian hands. Mm-hmm. But uh, go on. Uh, I must mention Deir as well because Deir is a critical uh, location if you want to uh, fight uh, in Babylonia as an Assyrian. Yes. And you really want to have control of Deir. Yes. And plus, isn't that like that's like the gateway to the Elamites too, right? Yes. But they, they have all been eaten by the Medes and the Persians now. Yeah, I know. The Medes and the Persians might want to come through it. Yes. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it says, yeah, he pursued Attila Ilani, ravaged Uruk, and set up a gar- garrison at Nippur. He went up from beyond the Euphrates and set out towards Assyria. He ravaged, and we, we lost whatever he ravaged, and set out for Nineveh. Then we lose something again, blank, who came out who had come out to do battle against him. When they saw him, they bowed before him. Now it's like getting lost. What's going on here? Who went to Nineveh? Babylonians went up towards Nineveh, and they 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 scored a victory. That's amazing. Now the Babylonians are in the heartland. Yeah. That has never happened before. Never. And that's where that's what the that's what we got in the chronicle up to this point. Yeah, uh, we lost a couple of lines in the chronicle here. Yeah, it's always it sucks. It's like ah, it says the rebel king, one hundred days when rebel. But yeah, whenever you see when they saw him, they bowed down before. It means they surrendered or they bent the knee, made them. You know, so we have some big old battles going on now with a lot of Babylonian success. Yeah, and everybody's running out of arrows. Let's think of Syria's not making, if they're having climate change and, you know, if they're running out of money and they have inflation, it's, there's a lot of these things, you know, they, it's not a good time for them. It's Babylonian's time. And I think that is the situation in 620. It is. So we we will continue in the 610s regarding the Babylonia-Syria conflict. Absolutely. All right, just one little spot here. Yes. I want to just say about, this is a little, a little an inscription from Nabopolassar. So you see, he's a man of deep piety, and he was a common person. When I was young, although I was the son of a nobody, I constantly sought out the sanctuaries of my lords, Nabu and Marduk. My mind was preoccupied with the establishment of their ritual ordinances and the complete performance of all the rituals. My attention was directed towards justice and equity. Sazu, the Lord who knows the hearts of the gods of heaven and the netherworld, who observes regularly the clever behavior of the people, 
perceived my intentions and placed me, the insignificant one, who was not even noticed among the people, to the highest position of my native country. He called me to the lordship over land and people. He made me a favorable guardian spirit to walk at my side, and he let me succeed in everything I undertook. That's our Nabopolassar. I think this is just propaganda to make him seem to be a suitable Babylonian king. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're probably right. The, I still think he was a regular person, though. You know, I mean, you know, he wasn't a king or anything. He was, he wasn't a slave, obviously. But, but remember that no Babylonian king, except one during all this time we talked about, has managed to put his son on the throne. No. But this is the start of the Chaldean dynasty and the Neo-Babylonian mm-hmm. Empire. We don't even mm-hmm. know if he was a Chaldean, but he is connected with the Dakuru, one of the Chaldean yeah. This might also be propaganda. Could be. We know the Dakuru are really not happy with the Assyrians. I mean, that's the guys that they like put on an altar and chopped up their bodies. And holy cow. You know, if you're talking, you had revenge in China. You know they had revenge over here, too. Anybody. I mean. Whatever Nabopolassar is doing, he's doing it extremely well. Yes. So he, he throws out the Assyrians. He becomes the king. And he cements his kingship. And gets the loyalty of the Babylonians. Except for some pockets of Assyrian resistance and some trouble right. in the Sealand. But this is something entirely new, something that Babylonia has not seen for all the time we covered in the podcast. Yeah. There is some things way before 1000 BC that is similar to this. That's why it's the Neo-Babylonian Empire. Right. It's a new power that the Assyrians are very poorly equipped to handle at this point. Right. I mean, you know, and then we find out that they, they this is before he even has his allies. Yes. He does this. Right. All internally in Babylonia. You know, it makes me think of like all those like, you know, like uh, Merodach Baladin and stuff. He went out before he started his wars and made his deals. But it sounds like Nabopolassar went out and kicked some ass first and then went out and made his deals. You know? I I think in a sense, this is the Babylonian TP3. This is the guy that forges the empire. This is the Babylonian Cyrus the Great. I agree with you. And I think that's the note we should end this episode on. I agree with you on that, too. Because <laughs> we do have some more things to talk about in the 620s. Oh, good. All right, well, let's end this episode. Then. Even though we will be mourning uh, Asher Banipal. That was a great lamentation, though, and you read it very well. I literally, I'm an emotional person in general, but when I read that, I mean, even for what a God, what a gangster he was, but you could just feel his emotion coming through that. And you got to wonder if it was his fault. What is going to happen? Yeah, well, it sort of was. Talk more about that <laughs> in the tragic events of the six tens. Yeah, when we do the dissection or the what's the word autopsy. <laughs> well, do remember our Facebook page where Bernie posts stuff. Please, I do. I've been posting all the um, the different uh, current events in history that we find. I I find them interesting. I have them all up there. I'm gonna I'm gonna probably use them. I think maybe we'll do some just special episodes on some of those stories. I think they're really cool. Like like the one we started the 620s with. That was a really interesting story. And I think, I believe I posted two different stories. So sometimes a really interesting story will come up and then it'll keep getting covered. So I'll keep posting it. So yeah, please check the Facebook page out. And also, please follow me on Instagram. <laughs> I'm 
Oh. Dan Horning with two dots over the O. An umlaut. And I'm the only one with that name, so I'm easy to find. But nice. most of it is in Swedish about my other podcast, but there will be Final History stuff there as well. All right, I'll start following it. Good. Okay, speak to All you right. next time. Talk to you next time, Dan. Cheers. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fan of history. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.